Well, holy, holy is the Lord. Lord, you are awesome and great and majestic and sovereign and all-powerful, ruling and reigning, and we worship you, for there is none like you. So, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name today. Glorify your name among us. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, your kingdom come and our kingdoms go. I pray right now in a spirit of faith and a posture of humility, we would humble ourselves under your word, casting our idols, casting our cares, casting our anxieties all upon you. Say, Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see the truth and a heart to respond by the power of your Holy Spirit in faith, knowing that your word is true, your word is pure, your word is life, and in keeping it there is great reward. Oh Lord, may you look upon Hope Bible Church Ottawa and see this posture today. Remove distractions from every heart in every home. No matter what's happened this week, we choose in faith to lay that down and say, Lord, give me eyes to see Jesus. Jesus, you are the head of this church. The word of God himself. Say what you want to say to us today. Purify us, unify us, break us, mold us, transform us, convict us, strengthen us, refresh us through your pure and sufficient word. Holy Spirit, fill me. I am unable to change a life. I am unable to convict a heart. So would you say what only you can say to me? Give me your understanding, your unction, your utterance, and help us to listen well today to your word, not in pride, saying, yeah, I've heard that, but in humility saying, I need that. May it be so today, Lord. Come and meet with us in Jesus' name. Build your church. Amen. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33. John 16, 25 to 33. And the title of this morning's message is, love this, ready? It is, Take Heart, Jesus Has Overcome the World. What an awesome truth. Let me repeat it. Take heart. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you've just come through this week, here's the reality. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And what a life-changing truth this is at all times and in all things. See, this truth that Jesus has overcome the world bolsters faith in the face of fear, worry, or anxiety. Anybody struggle with fear, worry, or anxiety a little bit this week? Or definitely over this past year? The fact that Jesus has overcome the world bolsters our faith when we are faced with fear. It renews our hope in the face of despair. It fuels confidence in the face of confusion. Man, so much confusion across our world today, right? But yet that Jesus has overcome the world fuels our confidence in the face of confusion. It brings joy in the face of sorrow, as we saw last week. And it leads to living in true and lasting peace. I'll say it again. It leads to true and lasting peace at all times and in all things as we live increasingly with a tranquility of the soul. As Jesus defines peace here today. 
Would anyone love to live with a tranquility of the soul today? Just think about that. The calmness, the confidence, the assurance of the soul. Is that you today? Would you like to have it today? Do you want to live at peace? Do you want to live with the tranquility of the soul? A tranquility that comes from assurance and confidence and faith unshakable. Do you want to live at peace? I think if we were to ask this question to literally anyone in this world, certainly us watching today, the answer would be yes. Yes, I want that. Why? Because we long for peace. We long for peace. And as we look around today and we live out our lives, we see a disconnect. Because here's this longing for peace that is there. But as we live out our lives, we see that true and lasting peace, peace that is unshakable, seems so elusive, doesn't it? It certainly does to me at times. Seems so elusive. And we live in constant anxiety and worry and fear and so so easily living in hopelessness and discouragement and the ex- internal and external conflict. Just look at this past year. It has highlighted it so clearly. How can I live at peace? And why does this peace seem so elusive? Well, it's become clear that we try to find the true peace that we are longing for in the things that can't give it. We look for peace in our jobs and we look for peace in having relationships and we look for peace in just getting enough comfort in a situation or or having things so convenient or under our control and so many other things, but yet we will never find true and lasting peace, the shalom of the soul, as Jesus calls it, in any of these things. Why? Because they are all dependent on what happens in this world. There we go, outsourcing our peace to these things that can be taken away. And so the question that we need to answer today that this world is asking, and that you and I, whether verbally or or internally ask every day is this, how can I live in true and lasting peace today? And I want to encourage you in this. This is what it all comes down to. You'll see a big idea for the sermon today right there. Jesus has overcome the world and you can live in peace if you believe in him. You can live in peace if you believe in him. And here in our text today, we are going to see two truths that we must believe and stand firm upon by faith to live in the supernatural peace of Jesus Christ that transcends all of our circumstances, that is not dependent upon what happens in this world. Praise the Lord. You ready to go? I can't wait to unpack this today. Let's stand. Yes, right where you're at, at home today. Stand up, pick up your Bible, John 16, 25 to 33. Let's read this together, one voice in many places. Let's go. I have overcome the world. Verse 25, ready? You ready, Hope Church? Let's go. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. 
The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So beautiful, so needed, let's go. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated, church. Well, the first thing we see here is that to live in the peace of Jesus Christ, you must believe in him. He is the source of peace. You must believe in him. See, peace in God only comes through peace with God. I'll say it again. Peace in God only comes through peace with God. Will you believe in Jesus? Let's get our context. Here we are, as you know. We're in the upper room, and it's the Last Supper, and Jesus is just hours away from his arrest, and then his trial, and then ultimately his crucifixion the next day. And this is the last teaching section where Jesus is directly teaching the disciples in this farewell discourse. It started in chapter 13. He's been teaching them all the way from 13 right up here to 16, and the discourse ends at the end of chapter 17. And so this section right here, 25 to 33, that we look at today, this is the summary of the discourse so far that Jesus is giving to his disciples and teaching them of how to live faithfully on mission for him after his departure. And this concluding section, these nine verses right here, before he goes into prayer, Jesus is reminding the disciples of the trials and opposition that they will face. And he gives them, and us today, a final exhortation. Man, if you're going to end a teaching section here before you leave, listen, you're going to want to end with this exhortation. To believe in him and to live in his peace through his victorious work on the cross. Check out this exhortation, 25 to 27. Let's go. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. See, Jesus tells the disciples that so far he has been 
uh, teaching the disciples using figures of speech. The term figures of speech there, it's like a cryptic saying, a symbolic saying. So like he, he's giving cryptic saying, saying like, uh, I'm going away soon. And they're like, where are you going? And, and, and he's like, I'm going to the Father, but I'll come again. And he's not explaining the whole story. Okay? So he's using these figures of speech. And it's led to a lot of confusion in the disciples. As we saw back in John 16, 18, they just kind of throw their hands up like, we don't know what you're talking about. Right? But he says, the hour is coming. Notice the text. The hour is coming when he will no longer speak to them in figures of speech, but he would speak plainly, circle plainly. The term there means he will speak clearly, direct, straightforward. Praise the Lord. The word of God is clear. Amen. And he's going to say, I'm going to speak it clearly to you and straightforward about the father and the kingdom of God. Now, what hour is he talking about? He says the hour is coming. Well, as he's been referring to all throughout the Gospel of John, the hour is the hour of his death, which is going to happen tomorrow. And then the hour of his resurrection and the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit. That term hour encompasses all of that amazing work of Jesus. And he says right here, what was hard for them to understand previously would now become clear to them after he rose again and appeared appeared to them, okay? So he's going to say, I'm going to speak plainly, because after I die, I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to appear to you and open your minds to understand the scripture, as we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And he says, I'm going to be teaching you clearly and plainly, remember from last week, in first off, a temporary way, through my post-resurrection appearances, so after I rise from the grave, I'm going to appear to you for 40 days, teaching you about the kingdom, so you'll see me face to face. But then after I ascend to the Father, I'm going to continue to teach you permanently through, do you guys remember? The sending of the Holy Spirit. That God would no longer dwell beside them physically. He would dwell within them. Praise the Lord as they are given the Holy Spirit. Who, remember from last week, what's the mission of the Holy Spirit? Teaching them the truth of God. The word of God. He will take the truth of God and declare or illuminate it to them as we saw in John 16, 13, 14, just a couple weeks ago. Awesome. And then he says in verse 26 and 27, that on the day he sends the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, I love this, they will be able to ask God the Father directly in Jesus' name for all that they would need to accomplish his mission that he gave them. What was the mission? The Great Commission. To proclaim the gospel and see his kingdom advanced for his glory. This is the mission Jesus is giving them. He's going to make that clear in Matthew 28, just before he ascends to the Father. And he says, you're going to be able to ask the Father directly. And us as followers of Christ today, how amazing is that? That we get to ask the Father directly, approaching the throne of grace for everything that he knows we need to accomplish his mission here on earth. Awesome. Right? Because up until now, this is such an important distinction, because up until now, they've been able to ask Jesus for everything, right? He says, you will ask, you no longer have to ask me. Jesus has been with them though, so if they needed something for the mission, they would just ask him. 
But notice what he says in the text. Go back to the text. He says, because of their belief in and love for Christ, as we see in verse 27, because of their belief in and love for him, the Father loves them as his own children. Amen? And the term loves there, circle that. The term of what Jesus is using to describe the Father's love for the children of God, that is, those who surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and are his followers, the true Christians, here's the Father's love for them. It means to regard them with deep affection and intimate friendship. There is the love of God. See, God is not some angry judge that they're waiting to slap his children around or anything like that when they mess up. God, look at look how Jesus says, the Father Loves you. He's affirming and giving them confidence in the Father's love. Jesus is like, I'm not going to have to kind of hold God back from coming down on you. The Father loves you with an intimate affection because of your faith in me. Awesome. Trust in God's love for you today. Drew, is this, is this your idea? Is this your belief in the Father's love for you? If you are truly saved in Jesus Christ, this is the Father's love for you. And Jesus says, you're going to know his love for you intimately. The Father loves you as his own children. And now, as we see in verse 27, they would experience his love and have direct access to him and could confidently approach the Father not on their own merit, but on the merit of Jesus. See, you see in verse 26, this is why Jesus says, you don't have to ask me to ask the Father for you, right? He says that in verse 26. He goes, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He goes, you don't need to come to me and then, and then I'll go to the Father on your behalf. Like God the Father is somehow indifferent to you. He says, no, you have direct access. Right? You don't have to go to me. Now, by extension, look at what he's saying here. Through saving, truth, saving faith in Jesus Christ means you have direct access to God, which means you don't have to go to any other intermediary on, to go to God on your behalf. Like the Virgin Mary. You don't have to do that because through Jesus Christ, you have been saved and have been given direct access to God. Or through any other so-called God or intermediary, Jesus is like, True saving faith means you go right to the Father. To ask for his will, to ask for his purposes, to ask for his provision, for all you need to live on mission. This is mind-blowing. Praise the Lord, this is good news for us today. Now, why does Jesus say they can go right to God? Why do they not have to ask him anymore? Because they had been reconciled to God. Say that term, reconciled. They had been reconciled to God. That means, that means they had peace now with God. They have been brought to peace with God. They're not separated from him anymore. They're not separated, alienated with him because of their sin anymore. They have been brought because of the blood of Jesus into a right relationship with him. They have peace with God. They have the favor of God. They have fellowship with God and they can have confidence in God and they will know and experience the love of God towards them, the intimacy, the affection, the friendship, all through the saving work of Jesus Christ on their behalf and their belief in and love for him. Just read the text so 
beautiful as they respond to the true gospel. Praise the Lord. Now this is incredible. And you may be sitting there saying, they're like, like, well, how does this happen? I mean, a right, direct access to the throne room of God. How does this even happen? Well, look at verse 28. It's so beautiful. Jesus illustrates what makes reconciliation or peace with God possible. It's the entire gospel summed up in one verse. And it's really the summary of all Jesus' mission from John 1 till now, put on paper. And he's also telling what will happen in the chapters to come. He says this, you be reconciled to God? Here's why you can approach him. Because Jesus, he said, came from God. He said, I came from God. Notice verse 28, read the text. I came from the Father. What's he saying there? Remember, Jesus is saying, I have divine origin. I am the Son of God. I am God himself. I am not a created being. He says, I came from the Father. John 1, 1 to 2, the very first two verses in this beautiful book. Remember what it says. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. That's a name. That is the name of Jesus, the Word of God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, I came from God. Now notice this, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. See, Jesus is saying here, I'm not just some man that was created. I'm not a created being and then who God gave supernatural powers to, as some religions believe today. He's saying, that's not true. I'm not just some teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. He says, I came from God. I came from heaven. And notice what he says. You can be reconciled because I just didn't come from what I came to earth. Look at verse 28. Go back to the text. I came from the Father and have come into the world. See, Jesus Christ, God himself, humbled himself and took on flesh, being born of a virgin. This is why John 1.14, if you recall, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God takes on flesh and lived as fully God and fully man among us. One person, two distinct natures. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus Christ was the revelation of God to man. It was God revealing himself to the world. And for 33 years as he lived among us, he lived a perfect sinless life in obedience to God. Perfect obedience for 33 years. Never sinned once. Praise the Lord. Even though, even though here's good news for us today, even though Jesus was tempted in every way you and I are, he did not sin. And it led him right to the cross where he was crucified on that cross to pay the penalty for the sin of the world. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He paid the penalty for our sin, your sin, my sin, the greatest penalty of which is separation, not peace with God, not reconciliation with God, but separation from, from God for eternity in hell. He paid a debt we could not pay. It was Jesus in our 
place and he took the full wrath of God and hatred of God for sin upon himself. And as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that in him we may become the righteousness of God and be reconciled to him and be at peace with him. Praise the Lord. It is our sin that separates us from God. And he came to the world and after taking the penalty for the sin of the world. He was buried for three days. He died on that cross, was buried for three days in a tomb, and then he rose again. Praise the Lord, defeating the power of sin and death and the devil for all time. Praise the Lord. Jesus came from the Father. Jesus came to the world. And then notice what he says. He's not done. That ain't the end of the story. Look at 28. He returned to God. I came from the Father, have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. See, after Jesus rose again, he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, where he right now, loved ones, be encouraged. Even with all that's going on around us, Jesus is ruling. Jesus is reigning with all power and dominion and authority. And right now, he offers eternal life, eternal peace with God for all who repent, that is, turn from their sin and confess Him as their Lord and Savior. See, loved ones, here's the truth. Jesus, this is why, right here, this is the truth. So beautiful. Jesus Christ is the source of peace and the only way to reconciliation and peace with God. This is why he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, exclusively, the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. You want peace with God? It's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. See, peace in God only comes from peace with God. Here's the question. The most important question of your life, will you believe in Jesus? Will you truly believe, not just with some head, yeah, I believe this guy, Jesus, but with a surrender of your life, a repentance from your sin, will you believe in Jesus? Let's just break this down real clear what Jesus says here. No Jesus, no true peace. It's impossible. You can't have it. And if you're here and you've never repented of your sin and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's the reality for you. I want to say so loving, love you so much. Love you so much enough to tell you the truth. Right now, your sin is separating you from God. You do not have peace with God. You are alienated from Him. And you will not know true peace. You can't. You will not know eternal life or the forgiveness of sin. But here's the good news. Jesus is called to you today, no matter where you're at. You say, man, I'm just, I'm just swallowed up in a life of sin. I'm sitting under so much condemnation. If, if God knew the bad that I did, listen, God knows the sin that you've done. And he takes it one step further. He just doesn't know the sin you have done. He knows what you will do. And yet he says, I love you. You see my love for you. I want you right here as Jesus is saying to the disciples. He says, I love you and I want you to experience it. I want you to know it intimately. I want you to know my affection and my friendship with you. 
I want you to know me as your father and you as my child. I see what you've been doing. I see what you've gone through. And here is my call for you today. Repent of your sin that separates you from me and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And loved one, here's the truth. You will have peace with God by his grace, grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. And this peace can never be snatched from you. No matter what happens tomorrow, this afternoon, next year, what about fourth waves? What about all this? You can live at peace. It cannot be snatched from you and you will know intimately his steadfast love for you. And you can approach him as Jesus says right here, approaching God the Father with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need, both now and you will be with him in eternal peace in heaven for eternity. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. Yes, you. Me. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, right here, shall not perish, but will be reconciled to him and have peace with him and have eternal life. Will you believe in Jesus today? He's waiting to say, Jesus, yes, I believe. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. You are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And I want you as my Lord and Savior. If you've made that decision today, make sure you click on Hope Praise. We as elders want to know how to be caring for you and walking with you and helping you take your next steps in your walk with the Lord. Don't wait. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the challenge for us, for those who've made that decision to follow Jesus already. Here's a question for us. Are you living daily? Are we living daily in the humble posture of awe and joy and gratitude and remembrance that God chose you and God saved you and reconciled you to himself that you may know his peace, the forgiveness of sin. And you may know his love, his affection, his favor, his fellowship that surpasses all understanding And are you living in humility and awe and remembrance that you have been given confidence through the blood of Jesus in approaching God the Father at all times and in all things, knowing that you will receive mercy and find grace to help? Even though you and I are not worthy of any of it. You still living in awe of God? Does that still stun you? knowing that the only thing you and I contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary? See, here's why this is so important to see it on screen. Remembering the work of Jesus fuels our peace in Jesus. Remembering the work of Jesus fuels 
our peace in Jesus. But man, how quickly do we forget? So many distractions of this world and then subtly our pride and self-righteousness creeps in. Listen, can I just exhort you, brothers and sisters, Hope Bible Church, listen, don't let familiarity strip you of remembering rightly. You say, yeah, I hear the gospel preached every Sunday. Wonderful. Does it still stun you and put you in awe that God chose you and called you and adopted you and saved you and you did nothing to deserve this? You're his enemy. You were his enemy walking away wanting nothing to do with him and he called you and drew you to himself and opened your eyes to see the truth and respond Does that overwhelm you of his goodness and love towards you? Do not let familiarity with the gospel strip you of remembering rightly. That is the path to self-righteousness every time. Guard against it, loved ones. Afresh today, say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for choosing me. I do not deserve this. Every day that should be our prayer and praise. See, to live in the peace of Jesus Christ, you must believe in him. He is the source to peace. And from this, here it is, here's the overflow, ready, of belief. You must stand firm in him. You must stand firm in him. Hey, loved one, take heart. Take heart. Say that with me. Take heart. Amen. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world, loved one. He has overcome the world. But here's the question facing you and I every day, every moment. Will you stand firm in him? You want to experience God's peace? You want to live in the peace of Jesus Christ? Will you stand firm by faith? See, look at 29 to 32. I love this. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures. Can't you just hear them in the upper room? Now you're speaking plainly. Okay, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Ah, no more questions. We got this. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, oh, love this. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me, not in this world, not in your job, not in your control, not in that possession, not in your family, not in getting a spouse, not in your status, not in your money. Notice the word, circle those two. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. See, after hearing Jesus' statement, the disciples, you saw it right there, in ignorance and in prideful overconfidence, which is ultimately revealing the immaturity of their faith, they say that, oh, we now fully believe and have Jesus his person, who he is, and his work of salvation. We got this all figured out. Notice verse 30. Go back to the text. Look what they say. They're like, no more questions needed. All right. Told us plainly, we got it figured out. No more questions. We understand. Okay, you can move on to the next thing because we understand. We've heard it. No more questions. We get it, and we'll stand firm in. All right. We're going to stand firm. Now, hey, Loved one, does this sound familiar of an incident earlier in the discourse? Do you remember? From John 13, specifically verse 37, where the apostle Peter 
He says, oh, okay, I'm going to lay my life down for you, Jesus. My faith is strong. It's going to be good to go. I'm going to lay down my life. Now the whole table is saying it around Jesus. But notice verses 31 and 32, the love of Christ here. See, upon hearing this overconfidence, this arrogance, yeah, we got it figured out. We believe. We'll stand firm. Upon hearing this, Jesus doesn't encourage their pride. Jesus will never encourage their pride or yours or mine. It's sinful. And what does he do? He rebukes it. He gives a gentle rebuke right here. He looks into the hearts of the disciples and he asks a rhetorical question. He knows their faith isn't strong, but he says, do you now believe? Do you now believe? That's the emphasis in the Greek structure. And another way to say that is, do you really believe as you say? Do you really think like that? You really have no more questions? You've really got it all figured out? You're really ready to stand firm? Not so fast. Not so fast. Verse 32, he says, this firm belief that you think you have, hey guys, I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to hold. It's not as strong as you think it is. Because the hour of my death is coming, and instead of standing firm in the strong faith that you think you have, you will scatter. You're going to do the exact opposite. You will scatter and abandon and forsake me to save yourselves. When time comes, when you need to take a stand for me, you're, you're going to be more focused on your relationships and your reputation and what it's going to cost you and your lifestyle, and you will scatter and abandon me. Your faith won't stand in the time of crisis, in the time of trial, in the time of opposition. And in fact, the picture that he uses in verse 32 there, the word scatters, what it means is this. It means to disperse or fly in every direction like sheep that are terror-stricken. There you see a picture of it on the stream. It's like, there go the disciples. Oh, the opposition comes. Boom, 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 boom. They're just scattering. Like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. What happened to your faith? And for so many of us, that can be the picture as well. We're given the opportunity to take a stand for Jesus and to share our faith and to uphold what is right. And we just scatter like that sheep because we become so focused on ourselves and take our focus off the mission of Jesus Christ and we just love this world more than him. And we scatter just like they do. And Jesus is speaking the truth here. Every disciple left him. They abandoned him. And eventually Peter and John came back at a distance before Peter denies him. But notice this. Jesus goes on to say, verse 32, he says, Even though you abandon and even though you leave me, yet I'm not alone, for the Father's with me. Oh, Bible Church Ottawa, love you so much. We need to heed this rebuke today from our Savior, just like the disciples here, that he gives to them out of his love for them. See, we, like the disciples, we must guard our hearts against this prideful posture of when we hear the gospel, we hear the truth of God, we're like, yeah, okay, I get that. All right, I heard Jesus came. I heard that. Yeah, okay, I get that. I've heard that. Let's move on to the next thing. I mean, why do you preach the gospel every week? And what, what? We have to guard our hearts against this posture. See, here's why. Because like the disciples right here, you and I are prone to this too. We can easily and subtly become puffed up 
and complacent in the knowledge of the truth of God and the gospel, approaching the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word, all the reading in our devotion. Yeah, I get that. Okay, I heard that. No more questions. Got this figured out. Let's just move on to the next thing. And thinking pridefully that, oh yeah, I'll stand firm in my faith. I'll stand there. I'm willing to count the cost to follow Jesus. Anything and everything is on the table for you, Lord. And Jesus asks us today, just as he asked the disciples, he says, do you really believe as you say? Do you really believe as you say you do? Are you really as strong as you think you are? You really have it all figured out? You understand it all? We need to hear that today and every day to guard our hearts against the pride of arrogance when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Truly believing the gospel never leads you to say, oh, I get that. But always leads to, I need that desperately. Truly believing the gospel never leads you to, yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, can we just move on to some new teaching and all this? It always leads to, I need that. I need the mercy of God. Day by day, I need the grace of God. I need the forgiveness of God. I need the strength of God. I need the power of God. I can do nothing without him. And it leads us to that place of dependency again and again and again. See, a true belief in the gospel leads to humility, not pride. It leads to dependency, not self-sufficiency. It leads to action, not apathy. An urgency for the gospel to see others come to it. It leads to reverence, not flippancy, when we come to God's word and when we approach him in prayer. It leads to more prayer, not posturing as a Christian. It leads to increased sacrifice for the Lord, not selfishness. A true belief in the gospel leads to an increasing love for God and others, and not for self. A true belief in the gospel, all of this leads to standing firm in the peace of Jesus Christ and in his power and not scattering. There's the picture of true belief. See, this is what Jesus knew the disciples needed to understand if they were to stand firm and stay faithful and living on mission. And he knows it's what you and I need to understand today too. And then in verse 33, Jesus, even knowing their coming failure, he finishes his teaching by offering them and us today two powerful encouragements that we must stand firm on in faith, in his power, if we are to live faithfully on mission in his peace, no matter what opposition or circumstances come against us. He says, stand firm. He says, I am faithful. I am faithful. Look at verse 
33, love this. I have said these things. That is all the teaching in the discourse. Everything leading up to this point. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now the term peace, I want you to circle it. We need to pay attention when the God of the universe says this is what true peace is. So let's tune in. It means here, you'll see it on the screen, the tranquility of the soul that is assured of its salvation, confident that it can't be snatched, confident that all it needs is found in Jesus Christ. And so it fears nothing. Fears nothing of this world. Nothing this world, nothing that will happen today, nothing that's coming, no fourth wave stuff. It fears nothing and is content in its earthly lot. This is what is referred to as the shalom of the soul. The satisfaction increasingly in Christ alone. It's content with his lot. True peace flows from true contentment in Christ. Always. And Jesus says to them right here, in first part of 33, he says, he will stay faithful to them even when they are faithless. See, after the disciples scattered and they failed him, they would feel shame. And we see this happen. They would feel shame and condemnation. Yet, they would remember these words right here. After they had done that, they remember these words. And they remember that Jesus told them what would happen. And yet, he still loved them and was committed to them. See what Jesus is doing here? He's looking beyond their defection to their restoration when he would restore them to himself as they turned back to him. He says, hey, Peter, I know you're going to deny me three times really shortly. I know all of you are going to scatter like a sheep. But guess what, Peter? Hey, 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 you and I have a breakfast date on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in just a few days from now, and I'm going to restore you to myself. And I'm looking ahead to that day. He's looking beyond their defection to their restoration. And today, Jesus is the same. He is the same. That's good news for us today. In Jesus Christ, here, break this down. Your failure, my failure, is not the end of the story. Your sin, my sin, is not the end of the story. It never has the final say because Jesus sees your restoration beyond your defection. Amen? Talk about a life of hope. Jesus sees your restoration beyond your defection. And maybe you right there, maybe you've been faithless. Maybe you're like, oh, I had the opportunity to share my faith and, and, I, and I went down a fear of man again and, and I forsake Christ again in that moment. And maybe you're just sitting under the condemnation of walking in that sin. I just can't beat this and I'm not seeing any victory over sin and you're sitting in the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. I want to say this. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, amen? Get your head up, loved ones. Get your head up. Jesus sees that and he says, I know. I know. But don't run from me. Return to me. Don't run. Return. Return to me. Turn away from it. Repent and you will find peace for your soul again. I'm already looking towards your restoration. Your failure is not the end of the story. Praise the Lord. So not only is Jesus faithful, Jesus is victorious. Watch this. He says, stand firm. 
I am victorious. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, disciples. I have overcome the world. See, he tells the disciples here to take heart. The term take heart there means have courage, don't be afraid. Stand firm and resolute in the face of opposition. Because even though... He knows you and I and the disciples here will have tribulation. You do not have to fear. You do not have to fear. You can stand firm in faith right in the middle of the distress. Why? Because he has overcome the world and will strengthen us in our faith by his power at work in us. That term overcome there, it's a military term. It means to conquer. It means to overpower and be victorious over. Amen. There's nothing you will face. There's nothing I will face that Jesus Christ has not overcome. Stand firm. Stand resolute. Say, Jesus, give me the strength and faith to stand firm in your peace. I just love this. I love how D.A. Carson puts this. He says it right here. He says, Jesus's point is that by his death, he has made the world's opposition pointless and beggarly. There's good news today. The decisive battle has been waged and won. Put that on the forefront of your mind. Put that on a cue card around your kitchen and in your car and in your office or in your home office, whatever, on your phone. The decisive battle today has been waged and won. The world continues its wretched attacks, Carson goes on to say, but those who are in Christ share the victory he has won. Amen? They cannot be harmed by the world's evil, and they know who triumphs in the end. From this they take heart and begin to share his peace. Do you want to live in his peace? You must believe in him as the source. And you must stand firm in him by faith in his power and you will be at peace. Take heart, loved ones. Fear not. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are victorious and you have overcome the world. I pray right now your word by your spirit will be ministering so deeply into the heart of your people that there would be refreshment in the awareness that we have been reconciled to you. There would be new life in Jesus Christ. There would be faith that is strengthened and building. There would be repentance and there would be joy in the love of the Father. May it be so. Spirit, continue this work. Press it in our hearts and bear fruit for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond with us in worship today?